0: Welcome to the Path to Freedom podcast. I'm your host, Wes Barefoot, where it's my mission to help aspiring entrepreneurs and existing business owners take control of their lives and create freedom for themselves through business ownership. Each episode, I'll be exploring the strategies and tactics of other successful entrepreneurs that have created freedom in their own lives while sharing what I'm learning along my own path to freedom. I'm glad you're here. Let's drop in. What's up and welcome to your path to freedom. Thank you for dropping into another episode. This is episode 117. My guest is Troy Rainsburg. Troy's the CEO of Garage Kings. Uh, You guys know I love home service businesses. What I Lovingly refer to as the dirty, unsexy service businesses. And Garage Kings is a great example of just one of these businesses. So Garage Kings is a growing franchise organization specializing in garage floor coatings. But they're also expanding their service lines to include really anything and everything someone could want to do to update their garage. So think cabinets, storage, organization, plus the flooring option. So uh, great business in that regard. Um, Troy and I talk about, you know, some of the unique components of the business model and why some people find the model attractive. But what I was most interested in with this conversation was just, you know, hearing from Troy and his background. He's a very successful entrepreneur, but Garage Kings was really his first foray into franchising. So Troy shared that, you know, he and some business partners built a very large HVAC company, but it wasn't a franchise. Uh, He got some experience dealing with private equity and ultimately ended up exiting that business and almost through happenstance got involved with Garage Kings, ended up acquiring the brand. And now he's applying so much of what he learned building this you know, independent HVAC company into, you know, a multi-multi-multi-million-dollar business. They were doing hundreds of millions of dollars of revenue. And uh, he also talks about some of the differences, though, you know, as as successful as his last venture was, you know, Troy says there's been a little bit of a learning curve for him in you know, really understanding the dynamics of franchising and, you know, how to build a successful franchise organization. So one of the things I really love that Troy shared is, you know, how as he kind of realized how steep the learning curve in building a franchise organization was, he was smart enough and didn't have an ego he went out and found partners that were experienced in franchising and had a phenomenal track record he partnered with a company called Franworth and i absolutely love hearing that i love when founders of franchise brands that you know maybe don't yet have that experience of building a large national franchise they're smart enough to realize that and they go out and partner with people that do when i'm coaching people you know through the process of investigating franchises if it is, you know, a newer or more emerging concept, you know, that's the first thing I look at, it's the first thing I suggest anyone else look at is who's the leadership team and if they don't have prior franchise experience, you know, were they smart enough to go and partner with someone that did. And Troy did just that. So anyway, sorry for the long-winded introduction but a lot of good stuff that we covered in this episode. Uh, Troy's a fantastic guy. I've really enjoyed getting to know him. This type of guy, you know, I could talk to him for three or four hours if uh, if we had the time. But uh, without further ado, let's drop in with Troy Rainsburg of Garage Kings. Hey, what's up, Pat the Freedom listeners, and thank you for dropping into another episode. Today I'm joined by Troy Rainsburg. Troy is currently the CEO of Garage Kings, a growing franchise system that, as the name kind of indicates, focuses on garages, which I'll let him tell us more about exactly what they do in the garage. But um, Troy is someone I had the pleasure of meeting a couple months ago at a conference and we've had a couple of really good conversations since then and i've been excited to to have him join me as a guest here on the show so troy thanks so much for being here man
1: It it is such a pleasure and i know the conversations we had it, they just kept going deeper and deeper about home service franchises and home service businesses I yeah really
0: we've we've kind of nerded out on on home service businesses <laughs> and and franchises a little bit so figured might as well record it and uh, and share it with others that that might be interested. So um, give us kind of like the, the real high level overview of Garage Kings. Um, but I also want to make sure after that we back up a little bit and you have a chance to tell some of your story pre-Garage Kings, because that's a fascinating story as well. And I think we'll really give the audience some good context in terms of your experience, your leadership abilities, and and kind of what you bring to the table, you know, as an executive with Garage Kings,
1: I appreciate I appreciate that a lot. Yeah, Garage Kings started as a residential flooring coating company. Mm-hmm. Um, the The brand itself uh, just focused solely on the floors, and I bought the brand a little over two years ago with the intention, really, of owning the garage. Mm-hmm. um it's it's kind of funny how I even got into the garage business was I became a client first you know and oh. then you referenced my background um I had over 20 years in the HVAC business and while I was in the HVAC business my wife saw she saw an ad in in a magazine actually right yeah. so yeah. saw the yeah. picture she was like we should do this to our floor and I'm like all right go ahead and then we picked the color out and they came and they did it and it it was pretty interesting they did it in a day right it just yeah point in time, right? I'm in the HVAC business and we had about $150 million business and we focused on one day heating and air conditioning system installs. Okay, So my whole world revolved around the sales and the operations, like the installation of these systems. And I noticed that went in a day, but what I didn't expect was where my wife went with it after that. Right. So we, we get this floor done. My neighbors all love it. And she's like, we should paint the walls and put cabinets up and i'm like all right so then she picks it she goes and gets all excited about the the color right and she picks the paint out we get somebody to paint it and and then we hire a company to come out and they put cabinets up and now i'm starting to fall in love with the garage like the way it's happening but then she goes she goes even a level higher right and she she says well i'm going to take the lights down and put different lights up in the garage i'm thinking we putting fancy lights in the garage, but then, and so she does it. Right. So we have two new lights in the garage and then she hangs a painting up in the garage and then she oh, puts it really? TV, right. And, it, and then she's like, I don't think we should park in the garage anymore. And I was <laughs> like, like <it's> too <laughs> nice to park the car. In. And <laughs> but I, I tell you what got me. And it's, it's kind of funny. Like literally every time I went in that garage, it just gave me a little smile. Like, yeah. it, was, it became one of my favorite rooms in the house. And I, so, so it kind of landed on my radar and then it was probably two or two and a half months later, I'm at, I'm at a dinner with home advisor, right? We were doing a lot of marketing with home advisor. We had four or five locations at the time. So we were doing a lot of business with them and the guy, he started to talk about his, his sons and how they were in the garage business. And I just had my floor, floor done. I was in the process to get the cabinets and different things done. And I'm like, tell me about that. And he tells me about garage Kings. and here he had his sons in the business. He goes, they, ah. and he said, the part they loved the best was how excited people were after they got the work done. Yeah. Here I am. I'm in it right I'm right in the middle of that process. And I can kind of relate to what he's talking about. And so what I did is I came home and I researched garage Kings. Uh-huh. and learn more about the brand, saw that they were only doing, doing the floors, But I was like, you know, my brother who's in Albany, New York, I'm like, he would be good at this. Mm. And I, I sent him an email, linked him to the website and said, what would you think about opening up one of these locations? And he looked at it and he called me up within like an hour. And he's like, do you think that would be good? So I tell him at, the, at this point, he doesn't even know I'm doing it in my own garage. Sure. And I get to tell him about it and he does a little research, but then now at the time he's working in the um, he's like a like a general contractor, but more more like for an industrial company. He was more like a supervisor, like on site of big projects, right? Okay. Yeah. He would travel a little bit. And I knew it was bothering him. At one point he made a comment to me. He said he said, I feel like I rent myself out mm-hmm. because I'm doing all this work and I'm overseeing these projects, but I'm somebody else is the owner. Mm-hmm. Right. And I, I don't, I don't know why. There was something when I saw that that model, because I thought he'd be good at the sales part. I thought he would understand the installation part. Right. Yeah. And within like 90 days, we kind of sold his wife on the whole concept. He left his job, did a home show, like went into business and it, within 60 days now, now keep in mind but I'm back at my, in my HVAC business cause I'm in Philadelphia. He's in Albany, New York. Okay. And he gets started really quick and in my world, right. One day installs of heater and air conditioners, and it's all about sales appointments, Mm -hmm. selling jobs, and then installing them. You get paid, then you go to the next one like that. That was my whole world. So I'm I'm modeling him out the exact same way. Yeah, and so everything was about the marketing, getting people signed up to get estimates. We sell jobs, we get it, we get it scheduled, install it, get paid, and do it again. We end up getting like a four or five week backlog within like a month. There you go. Go get another truck. Go get another. Yeah. Let's get another crew hired, and we're going to expand. Was well, that's happening? He, the owners of of Garage Kings, right? The actual founders. They call me and they're like, "What are you guys doing down there?" And I'm like, well, <laughs> "You
0: guys are breaking to- records." he's on? like,
1: "You're the biggest location we've gotten. You've only been in business like ninety days." He's like, "What? What are you doing?" And so one one conversation led to another, and I and I just kind of walked them through what like just the way my mind thought about that. Yeah. And and next thing you know, my brother's a three crews, right? And so now now the wheel's really starting to turn. Now, at this point, I'm still in the H V A C business. Yeah. Right. I've I've not made any kind of transition. And it, it would have been what year is this? What kind of time frame or this would have right been now? I learned about Garage King from 17. Okay. And and then my brother opened at the beginning of 18. Okay. Right? So he started up in up up in New York at the beginning of eighteen. Um, by the time COVID hit, right? That's when I, I started having conversations with the founders in 19. And at that point, so back in 17, we were about 150 million at the HVC business at five locations. And and I didn't realize like literally at that time, because remember, this is not a franchise. This right. is just a contracting company. Yep. And what I what I learned is how hard it is to take a system at one location and you open another location to duplicate it, right? Because everything gets further from center and, yeah. and it's more difficult. And then you have a third location and it gets even more difficult, right? So it's all about how strong that system is. And it was expensive trying to figure out that system because every mistake you make costs you a lot of money. I bet. I the, yeah. the People thinking about going into franchise, the beauty of it is the system's already proven, yeah. right? And which that is really what Garage Kings needs to have, right? Is to make sure we've got that system. So while this is happening, so we sold 75% of the business at the end of 17, or actually the beginning of 17, so 75% of the business, well, then a private equity group was who bought the 75%. So they came in and I watched them, I shouldn't say watch, but I was involved in it, but it went from 150 million to 350 million in 28 months. Now, and, and the thing, like you talk about learning lessons and learning how to grow. And, and w- like what I learned was that they understood how to grow a business without it being painful. Mm. They knew about capacity planning. Mm. They thought longer term, right? They knew that the payoff was going to be in 12, 18, 24 months out if we made these investments right here, whether it was software, whether it was training platforms, which was another piece that we like, we opened up training schools in each location. Like we had full time trainers with equipment that people could work on. And what we did is we could grow our own employees, right? Yeah. Like I think we could bring somebody in, a, a high school kid that maybe went to, to a trade school, bring him in within four to six months. I've got a full fledged technician.
0: Well, I, right? And I bet that solves so many problems with turnover because it's one of these I businesses I imagine that, you know, you got to be a little bit wary of people jumping ship for 50 cents more an hour or something like that. And, and um, it's a yeah. Yeah. So you were kind of grooming uh, your kind of building employees. Your yeah. And then right. they can, can move up in the ranks. That's brilliant.
1: And, and, and it's interesting, because you know, the, the private equity groups taught us also that, you know, showing the path. So people knew where the opportunities were and, and really opportunities come through growth. Like as a business grows, there's more opportunities. Well, as long as it's planned growth and you've got the capacity so that you're not taxing and stressing every person that's in the system, as long yeah, as yeah. it's planned, growth is fun. Yeah. Like literally, I remember having conversations about, sh- like we're doubling our revenue and we're asking each other, like, shouldn't we feel busier? But it's because it was planned well, right? Right. Well, yeah. you, you can learn a lot, right? Like just paying attention to how they do that. And, you know, one thing that they did is they always focused on having the right people. You got to have the right people in the right seats. Um, I heard someone say a couple of weeks ago, you know, have aces in their places. Ooh, and I like that. It's, just like, it's just like we tell our, our franchisees, like you've got to have the right people in each position, whether it's the sales position, the installers, like whether it's a general manager, but you've got to have the right people. And it's like that for us as a franchisor. Yeah, we got the right people in the right place to provide the support and the resources. And that's business. Like, that's that's one of the challenges of business. It's the hardest thing in
0: any business, I believe. Right. Finding and keeping good people and and making sure they're in the right seats. But if you can get really good at that, to your point, you can grow. But growing doesn't necessarily mean that you're busier or, you know, putting in that much more time. It's the definition of working smarter instead of harder.
1: Right. That's it. Yeah, you know? So, so I've been able to bring, so, so I'll go back to, to the story. So yeah, I watched that private equity group, like orchestrate this massive growth. And I, I, I knew that at the next, what they, they call the next turn, like the next time that the business sold, yeah. I was, I was going to roll out at that yeah. point. So that was at the end of, of 2019. And like the whole time now it was funny. Also, my brother is in business and then me being the smart guy, I'm like, well, if I could do it with him, I could probably do it with other people too, right? So right. I ended up finding people in New Jersey, Philadelphia, Pittsburgh, and I ended up kind of starting my own little franchise and I partnered with different people. Ah. And, just, and part so of you it. You were kind of funding it. Exactly. They were the operator. I was like the banker and the advisor, right? And then they would be able to, to be in business. That's all. Awesome. Yeah, they're probably people that, that wouldn't have done it on their own.
0: Yeah. Yeah, well, or maybe didn't have the means yeah. to begin with, but would be a great operator.
1: And, it, and it's funny. It's like you and I were talking earlier, like to be in business for yourself, but to not be by yourself, like yeah. that's really what franchising is about, yeah. right? And it, and the irony is at the time, I still didn't really understand franchising, but I was doing that. And part of it was I just, my brother would have never done it on his own, right? Yeah. he He had his own business. He was making more money than he ever made. Right. And he was on a path to to create generational wealth. Right? Yeah. And to help other people be able to do that. I like doing that. I wanted to help people do that. And then yeah. I could win. I could win. We could win together. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's and- mutually
0: beneficial. And that's why I like how you said you were kind of like your own franchise, because that's, right. that's why franchising works in the first place. Right. Is it's mutually beneficial. That's right franchise or franchisee or aligned, or at least they are when it's when it's set up correctly. And, you know, I talk to a lot of people that are in the early stages of investigating franchises, and a lot of times they they kind of have this view. And I guess I can understand why if they haven't really, you know, spent much time researching franchises, but it's like the franchise were against them. And I'm like, you're looking at this the wrong way. Like, it's nothing more than a partnership, right? You know, when it's done right, there's plenty of examples out there where, you know, the franchisor probably was kind of working against the franchisees. But those types of systems don't last long. They implode almost always. Uh, But when it's done right, the franchisor only does well when the franchisees are doing well. That's how they continue to grow and add more franchisees. It's how they... Grow their revenue as the franchisor, right? The more revenue the franchisees are doing, exactly, yeah. more revenue <laughs> coming into the franchisor. Like it's it's pretty simple in some ways, but it it makes a ton of sense. There's all this mutual alignment that keeps people working towards the same exactly
1: goals. Right. It's exactly right. I mean, the franchisees win first when you think about it, like yeah. the way the model's set up. Like the franchisor can never win if the franchisees didn't win first. Yeah, and it you know it it's funny because. I didn't know those things and I I, I come out of the contracting business. Right. And I thought I was going to take some time off and that took like 45 days. And you're like, all right, now what am I going to do? Right. Your wife's like, get out of the house, go find something to do. You're taking up, you're
0: taking up room in my beautiful garage. Get out of here.
1: (laughs) It's funny you say that because, you know, and um, so I ended up buying another house. Like after, so that was my first house. I kind of fell in love with that. Well, then within two or three years, we bought another house. Well, then my next house, the garage was done completely different and like all decked out, right? Yeah. It, every And I thought about it last night. I, draw, I got in from the airport last night and I still smile when I pull in the garage, you know? And so I love garages. And so let me let me go back to how we got to that. So I ended up rolling out of the HPC business, right? And had a great exit. Like it, it was uh, no bridges were burned. Everything was great there. And I'm still in talks subtly with the the founders, right because they were they were like, they had grown the franchise to to like 30 locations and then they were okay. um, I, I i ended up looking deeper into it and and said I thought we needed to make a bigger um a bigger change. I thought like the brand kind of needed to be refreshed. But we also need to add other services yeah the, what I did is, is I did an analysis on it ended up buying the brand. And uh, that would have been like mid mid to the end of 20, 2020, okay. and I began the process, right? So we ended up re- redoing our brand. We d- redid our website, uh, re- redid our whole marketing approach. A great COVID happened right then as well. Yeah, I was going to ask about that. Yes. So, you know, it, there were good things in COVID, and then there were bad things in COVID. You know, there were, we had some, the bad things played more along the lines of different areas being shut down for extended period of times. Like we had some States that we really struggled with that part. We also have material shortages that caused issues. And so you're kind of trying to pivot and do things, but there's only so many ways you can do a garage floor coating and it lasts, right? So there's some key, key chemicals that you need to make this happen. And we're running into some problems with that. Yeah, I bet flake issues right just the flakes that you put in the floor we had our, at one point they stopped selling them outright so there's a panic right? just trying to find anything on the on the internet that we could get our hands on um, so that disrupted some things um I think some of the changes that I was making disrupted some things internally but but we needed to kind of reset the foundation because yep. I wanted to own the garage. Right, I knew how my own garage made me feel, and that's what I knew people wanted to tap into. We bought the phone number eight 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 garages, and you know, with with the intention again, own the garage. Yeah. So then we started. Now I'm probably let me think. I'm probably twelve months into this. Right, putting a new CRM in place, like literally, kind of re- restructuring everything, and. I realized that I understood contracting really well, but franchising was new, right? because everything in franchising is about the recipe, it's about the system. and as a franchisor, like I was a good business person on the contracting side, but as a franchisor, it's just different yeah. right and as much yeah. as i much as I thought I understood that, right, what I learned from the private equity groups was find someone that already knows, like find. You got to have people that already know what needs to happen because, and this is, this is something I think any franchisee or someone looking to get into a franchise should think about, right? When someone is learning, when you're going through the learning curve of learning how to either be a business person or learning how to do a certain trade or a specific skill set, it takes time. Mm -hmm. If you're looking to grow a business and you're looking to grow a business quickly, you typically don't have time to learn as you go. Yeah. You got to find someone that already knows, right? So here's what I did is, and, and it might've even taken, I don't even think it took 12 months. I think about it. it was probably six months. I looked for a franchise consultant, like someone that could see the back of my head to make sure I was pointing in the right direction. And, and, and if I was off track, right, we all need someone. They could just see, see from the back of my head, am I on point or not? And I found a company called Framworth. Yeah. Okay. Now what Framworth was, they were um it's a it's a group of people that have worked at multiple brands but like the ceo john rachi um he worked for tom monahan directly at domino's pizza he was like one of the first people at domino's pizza he worked for tom stores himself like tom mentored him and he he have been and actually their president now I've been the ceo at honey baked hams hagen doss like they've got a lot of franchising background and i hired them as a consultant just, so I had access to them. I had a meeting a month so they could just give me advice. I would send them like financials and different information just to get feedback. And we just developed a really good relationship. Right. And, and I, I saw the track record they had with other yeah. brands that they were working on that They were growing. And I would, I actually, end ended up going to John Rachi uh, within probably 14, 16 months after I bought it. And I said, can you get in the boat with me? Right. Like yeah. I, my, my thought was, If you could take what I knew about the contracting right, and the operational piece of of the business itself and then take what he knew about the franchising piece and how do you really grow a brand? Because my biggest fear is a franchisor. It's just like you're saying, a franchisor that doesn't have the right sound system Mm -hmm. and people buy into it, you're misleading everybody. Yeah. I want to make sure what I've got is built. Mm -hmm. And what I was learning was, Everything I didn't know when I would make a mistake, it was costing me a lot of money. Yeah. Right. And I'm like, I want to stop making mistakes. So if you think about a, like a candidate looking to buy into a franchise, they're essentially paying for the experience. So they don't have to go through that painful part.
0: Yeah. Even if, yeah. Cause I mean, it, in most cases, the, you know, mistakes that a franchise or makes, it's not like they're intentionally misleading they're franchisees, right? It's That's not right. like, you know, coming out of a a bad place necessarily, but it happens and I love that you brought up this piece of it and and for the audience listening, Franworth has a stellar reputation and track record within franchising. We'll drop a link to Franworth's website in the show notes so people can go check it out. They work with some amazing brands. Um and again, phenomenal track record, but I love that you brought this up because this is Something I talk to candidates that I work with about all the time, right? Because, you know, there's a lot of people that at surface level look at an emerging brand, right? Less than a hundred locations as inherently riskier than you know a brand that's been around for a lot longer and has hundreds and hundreds of franchisees and more data to look at and all of that. But territory is very tough to find with those mature brands, right? your growth opportunity in the future may be very limited again because of territory there's a number of reasons why more emerging brands can be appealing to some people right so what i tell people is look one of the first things i look at with any emerging brand that i get introduced to who's the founder what's their background Do they have a background in franchising? And if not, were they smart enough to go and partner with someone that does? Mm. Right. And when you have that, you almost get like the best of three worlds, right? You get, you know, a founder that's got good experience and usually good industry experience, right? So you've kind of got the industry expert. If you've got someone like a Franworth involved that's got the franchise experience, and then you get the ability to probably look at more prime territories get into something a little more ground floor that's going to give you the potential to to build something bigger long term if that's what you want to do like that's the trifecta right there right whereas like there's plenty of brands that you know the founder started franchising it didn't really know anything about franchising and you know now it's a successful mature franchise system today but probably a lot more peaks and valleys on that ride you know um so i just i i love that you shared that piece of the story and and i think it's a testament you know to you being willing to so look most people build a 300 some million dollar hvac company big enough to get on the radar of private equity like they're probably going to be walking around thinking they got shit figured out and no one can tell them anything <laughs> right like Most people are going to have an ego that comes with that, that, you know, they they probably wouldn't have been so willing to, you know, look in the mirror a little bit and say, hey, I know a lot of things. I do a lot of things well, and I think I can apply a lot of that here. But this franchising thing's a bit different than where I've come from. So let me go see who's out there that's already kind of done this piece
1: of it and, and learn from them. Yeah. it's interesting you say that because I hadn't really thought about this. So there were three of us in the HVC business and we've all kind of gone into different, different areas since, uh, since our transactions, but all of us have partnered up with other people in other facets. We've always had part. And I think when you think about franchising, it's a partner, right? That franchise or franchisee, it's the same thing. And yeah, at one point as we were going through uh, putting our our truck program and the and the wrapping and everything together, um, the company we were working with the the gentleman the the representative we worked with he had he had a like a big mural behind his desk and I had asked him on a video call can you do me a favor can you move over and here it, it showed like a bunch of gazelles it, it sounds weird that I tell the story I asked him to move <laughs> out of the way to read the back right but it had it was an African proverb right mm. and it said. If you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. Mm. And like that resonated with me. And it literally, it was, it was just as John Roche and I were starting to have conversations about partnering up. And I'm like, and I go back and I think about the private equity, right? And just the way things happen. And you see these private equity groups come in because they've got the knowledge and they've got capital, right? Yep. yep. And they can they can work with a founder, they can work with a business and grow it quickly because they already know. Yeah. And everybody wins in those yeah. situations. Yeah. And when I thought about bringing a in, with I mean, they, they literally have helped me build the foundation and now garage Kings is growing like crazy. And that's what we feel really good about, you know? So you, we started with floors, right? Now we've got cabinets. We're live with cabinets. We're, we're Love that piloting. Point. We've got storage solutions, right? We're piloting uh, two other pieces that, that I don't want to bring up quite yet, but like, Fair enough. it's just what I said. We want to own the garage. Like that's that's where we're when, going.
0: And why not, right? I mean, in this day and age, consumers, they want to work with a one-stop shop. Now, they don't want to work with the company probably that they feel like is jack of all trades, master of none type of thing. Right. But how much easier, if you're the, the homeowner, is it to work with one company that can do everything that that they want done in their garage versus three or four and from what I know about the garage industry, the flooring is the most complicated piece of it. So you guys already had that down. I would imagine the other stuff was, I mean, easy is probably not the right word, but it was you know, not the most difficult thing to start tacking some of that stuff on, I think if you started with cabinets and storage solutions, it'd probably be a little bit harder to figure out the flooring piece of it. From what I know, the, ex- the, the equipment's more expensive that you're dealing with, as you mentioned earlier,
1: chemicals. And yeah, the, it's a whole process from what I understand. It's, you're exactly right. You know, and, and the training, you need about four times more training, Yeah, just the floors. Yeah. And it's funny we go down this road because that, that was one of the fears I had coming into this. Cause I come from a business and a model where we, we were so intentional with the training platform. every technician was trained every single week ongoing all year round. We have training rooms in every every location and we we brought this in and what I realized with this with this trade is that with the floor coatings, there's no certifications it's like there's no licenses that technicians have to have it uh, there's a lot of our competition it, literally they're they're painting companies that kind of do this on the side yeah, they so, dabble in it no one's governing it right and yeah. We put, we put together a school. So we've got a school in Dayton, Ohio, where technicians, new franchisees, they go through an intense training. They put about 15 different coatings on. They're trying different types of equipment, different type of products, different types of repair type issues that they have to go through. So literally in, in seven days, we can put them out on the street installing and be revenue generating, which again get, you brought up earlier, like you can, you get on the street quick with this van based model, Yeah, which is a great thing. And we've got the training we figured that, um, we're offering 117% more technical training than our top five competent competitors. Wow. Right? And it, I, that's my world. You know, we used to say, you know, <laughs> you can train people before they get to your house or you can train them at their house right? Like, which, which way? Yeah, you I like that. Brain, it's so true too. To train, it's so true. <laughs> somebody, somebody but. asked a question at one point point. they said, you know, so if you're going to invest all that time and all that money in training your people, what happens if they leave? And the other side of it is if you don't train your people, like what happens if they stay?
0: Yeah. <laughs> right. Like,
1: <laughs> it, yeah. So you got to make the investment. Like what I
0: think I was, I was having this conversation with, the the GM for one of our businesses the other day. And, you know, this is an insulation business. And we've had some challenges with turnover and and stuff recently. It hasn't been that bad up until recently. But you know, it's guys leaving because they can make a little bit more money somewhere else. And, you know, my GM's of the opinion that, hey, if we don't throw more money at these guys, they're going to leave. And I'm of the opinion that, hey, if they're going to leave because they get offered a little bit more money, like they can go ahead and go. And exactly. what we need to do, because if we if we give them a little bit more money today, you know, that may keep them here for three or four more months. But there's no loyalty there. Right. Like and it's, it's also just creating a bad culture. Right. Where they feel like every time they start, you know, whining a little bit about their pay, we're just going to fork over more money like that's a slippery slope. So, you know, but it led into this conversation of like, look, you know, more money is not always the only reason that someone decides to stay with a company or to leave a company. Right. And I think if they feel like they're getting continued education and additional training, like that might be enough for someone to stay, even if they could leave and make a little bit more somewhere else, if they feel like the company's investing in them as a person um and and actually cares you know that that kind of cultural piece i think exactly right carries a lot more value than than a lot of people would would initially think it's not just about the the compensation so i mean what a good example of you know where you were able to bring your experience from the hvac company and apply it over here yeah because i just i want to take one second If you're listening to this podcast, then there's a good chance that you're looking to create more freedom in your own life. There's also a good chance that you realize that owning your own business can be a great way to take more control of your livelihood and create more of that freedom that we're all looking for. Also, if you've been listening to the show for a while, you realize that I specialize in franchise ownership. In addition to owning franchise businesses myself, I have a franchise consulting firm, Path to Freedom, where I help people navigate what is typically an overwhelming process of understanding franchising, identifying specific franchise companies that could be a fit, and then conducting the due diligence in a thorough and efficient manner with those franchise brands. My whole purpose here is to leverage my experience working for franchisors, owning franchises myself, and how we've been able to use that to create more freedom in our lives and help you determine if that could be a path that makes sense for you as well. So if any of this sounds interesting, if you've considered business ownership in the past, whether you've explored franchising specifically or not, I'd love to connect with you. I'd love to learn more about you and what it is that you're working towards in your life and determine if I may be in a position to help. A great starting point is the link below in the show notes, which will take you to a short form to fill out. And you'll receive a free copy of an ebook that I've put together, The Seven Steps to Freedom Through Franchise Ownership. That'll also get us connected. And I'd love to set up an introductory call where I can explain a little bit more about the process that I use to help people Determine if franchise ownership could be a great way to start charting their own path to freedom. So, click the link below in the show notes, receive the ebook, and let's get connected. I'd love to hear from you. And just make sure the audience understands because it sounds like your HVAC company was really just regional. Is that accurate? You said five so or six locations? It, it started.
1: It started. We literally had four locations. in. We we have one in, in Pennsylvania right down near Philadelphia. And then we yeah. went across the bridge into New Jersey. We have yeah. one in Delaware. It really started in Delaware. And then we bought one in Baltimore, Maryland. So they're all in a region right yeah. there. So not a,
0: not a national company.
1: Exactly. Exactly. And then we expanded and, and bought one up in Connecticut. Okay. So yeah. Five locations. That, that was a stretch for us. So we had to take a plane to get there, right? Yeah. So it was a bit of a different uh, different model, but the owner stayed, right? And re- we bought 75% of his business and he stayed and he's still with them today. And it just even through a couple of different transactions, but what we re- what we learned is, so we had started in Baltimore from scratch and grew it. And it was it was hard, like it was painful because it, it was a different actual market, MSA. It was a different market. So we had no name recognition down mm-hmm. there, right? Versus. The other one and then when we bought and we kind of greenfielded that one and it took us a while it took years to get that one up and running we bought the one in connecticut 75 percent, and we could overlay the operations quickly and it made an impact right away and we learned it was better to buy someone and then fix it yeah and then that's kind of how we sold it to the private equity group so then we went from five locations when they bought us 28 months later it was they had done 18 acquisitions and then we had 12 locations because they would tuck them in. A lot of times leaving the name brands right where they were. Uh, but you saw how the recipe, because we would take the we would take the operational model and use the same model at, at that location. Then we would buy a business and put our model over top of it. And you could see the, the change instantly. And it's like franchising, right? So we've got the model built. We've got a guy that just opened up in Northern Atlanta. He literally it took him about nine weeks to go from signing to actually opening his business, he opens yep. his business and he had 15 appointments already on his schedule to give estimates. He sold for the first five, did his install, his first install. I think he's, he opened his business on Thursday, did his first install on Monday. And now he's in business, right? Like now he's I mean, in business and he's, he's, got, business. he's got cash He's got
0: cash coming through. So let's use that as a segue to, to really kind of dissect the business model a little bit you know, from a, a prospective yep. franchisees eyes, a couple things that, that I'll just say right off the bat that I love about this type of model. One, you just hit the nail on the head is cash flow. Yes. All right. I'm, I'm assuming, tell me if I'm wrong, but I'm assuming this is pretty similar to our custom shelving business where, you know, like we don't have to carry a ton of inventory, really none at all. We order as needed. And in that business, everything's built like to the millimeter custom. And so we take a deposit when we sell the job, right? We don't order any materials until we have a deposit. For us, it's usually a 50% deposit unless they're leveraging one of our, our financing options. Um, and we get paid the day we do the work. So from a cash flow standpoint, it's beautiful. And then I can compare that to my insulation business where we do a lot of work with Home builders mm. <laughs> and they want to pay you 30 days, which in reality turns into 45, pushing 60 days. I've I've never heard Troy, I've never heard the the phrase checks in the mail so many times until we started working with home builders. And it's the most frustrating thing in the world. And that business doesn't cash flow for shit. So I really have an appreciation for a business with with really strong cash flow and, and it seems like Garage Kings
1: uh, is is very similar in that regard. You're exactly right. You know, we want we want our new franchisees to they start with about six weeks worth of actual product inventory, right with the intention of when you sell a job, we want to make sure you've got the product and you can install it as soon as you need to. Right. The yep. homeowner wants that. Like that's ideally where we want you to be. And then we, we have free shipping on anything over four thousand dollars when they order product, right? We want them to order weekly to keep everything replenished so there's never an issue with being able to do an install. You know, the, the install truck is where my BHVC background comes in. The install truck's the asset, right? You've got to be you've got to have the truck at an install. And our target is to do one day installs. Some of them are two, depending. We offer three different floor types. Depending on which one the homeowner buys, it's either a one-day install or two-day install for the coatings. Some, some take a long, a longer to dry, right, or to set. They, they do actually. We've, we've got a. You can do a three-layer floor, a four-layer floor, or a six-layer floor. The uh-huh. six-layer floor takes two days. Yeah. Right? You know that going in. It's probably the best one you could put in on the market, right? Your cabinets are either going to be a half-day install, full-day install, or a day and a half, depending on what package they buy and so it's a pretty simple model on that part we don't stock the cabinets those are with the, those are to you within 5 days okay. and those installs you want to have the cabinet installed done after the floor right you can't do that part before the floor makes sense yeah so and so it's a pretty simple it's a, it's a pretty simple model right but the cash flow piece is exactly what you said you can take a deposit up front so now now you've got money in the bank Yep. You've already got your product. That, that's part of, of the upfront, your item seven that you're picking up at the beginning, right? You've already got your product. You're ready to install and you get a check at the end. Yep. Right, it's, it's beautiful. The, and tomorrow, beautiful. Do the same thing.
0: <laughs> well, and, and and like you mm-hmm. mentioned earlier, with that that example of your North Atlanta franchisee, like this is the type of business that you can realistically get up and running very quickly. you know, from the time you decide to become a franchisee and make that official. Whereas, so many other franchises, if there's you know a storefront involved, you're talking probably minimum nine months. A lot of times, twelve. Um, you know, just to get to that point where your doors are open and you're, you're generating some revenue. And a lot of people are fine with that. And there's plenty of great, you know, brick and mortar franchise concepts out there. But this is something that's worth noting, you know, the the speed to open. And the other thing, you don't have to, you know, share an exact number. I'm sure you give some sort of an average in your FDD. But I would imagine this is a pretty high average ticket business, too, which combine that with the speed to open and the cash flow, right. like that's the recipe for a quick ramp up business. And you shared some examples of, you know, how quickly your brother was able to right. to ramp his business up. But I mean, think about it: if your average ticket's around, say, five thousand mm-hmm. dollars, which I would imagine you're in that kind of ballpark, um, shit, you only need to sell like five or six jobs in your first month in business to have. You know, thirty thousand plus in revenue. You're exactly right. <laughs> like, how many businesses are you going to open up month one and do like thirty k? And and obviously, there's no guarantees with any of this, right? Like, you got to be able to convert the estimates to that's sales, it. right? Like, there is a sales component. here, It's not going to fall in your lap, but that's probably not crazy unrealistic in a business like Garage Kings. I know with Shelf Genie, which we've talked at length, kind of how similar those two businesses are, like. Yeah. That's kind of like average for a first month franchisee. If they do, you know, 30k or so. That's like it's a pretty good start, but they're not they're not breaking records or turning too many heads at that level.
1: You're spot on with the numbers. You're spot on. And we're seeing that that's gone up even more since the cabinets. Oh, I bet. In. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, the cabinets, just a cabinet sale is close to double what a floor sale is, right? That's what we're seeing really already. with the storage. Okay. Tell you what what we're seeing is the overhead storage, like the where it hangs down from the ceiling and you can hide stuff, right? People yep. really like that.
0: I live in a coastal area, so we see it all the time where people want to hang like kayaks and fishing rods and, yeah, and all right. types of stuff. We're um we're getting ready to build a new house. We're uh starting to clear the lot next week. Yeah. And you know, working through everything with our builder. Um I I want to say. I want to say we allocated like 15,000 for the garage, for like the flooring, the cabinets, the, the storage solutions. Um, cause I wanted to make sure like, we just went ahead and did it, did it all up front, you know? Um, and I want to, I want to do it to the, to the max, man. Like I want to, I want to
1: smile when I drive into my garage like you do. It, it, it's funny because, you know, we, we had a, a meeting this week with our owners. And one of the things we were talking about were sales or the salespeople. And and I told them, like, the question you really need to ask your homeowners is, what would your garage need to look like? Like, just picture what it would look like if every time you pulled into it, you just got a little smile. Yeah. And if you could start with that and then let's see if we can meet it with everything that we're offering, because odds are we can, you know, and, and it. It's one of my favorite rooms in my house—the garage. I've got now,
0: yeah, and I—I I imagine um, it's it's the, the type same. of thing. Yeah, I imagine it's the type of thing that you know you've got so many different options, right? So you can really work with your customers to understand, like you like the question you posed to your owners, like what would your dream garage look like, yeah. and then you can design that for them, right? And so that's a more consultative approach to sales than a lot of type of sales, right? I'd, I would imagine too, this will kind of tie into dissecting the business model a little bit, but you know, you guys are leveraging good outbound marketing and advertising and things like home shows as well that's generating a lot of inbound leads. I know you guys have a call center that's really there to take those leads Correct. and convert them to estimates on the franchisees calendars, which is in this type of business, guys, if you're listening, don't even mess with it if there's not a call center i promise that's nothing but headaches <laughs> if you have to try to deal with it yourself like i'm so glad we don't have to worry about that in in our businesses especially if it is really you know leveraging smart outbound marketing you know you're going to have probably a, a significant volume of inbound leads which is what you want but that's a lot you know if if you was the owner are uh, tied to your phone all day trying to to take those calls um so you know your sales appointments are warm right these are people that you know they saw an ad or whatever but they proactively reached out to you invited you into their home that's right like what what more of a warm sales you know environment are you going to find than that and it's something that's fun it's something that people get excited about right like I imagine that's a big difference from your HVAC days, right? Where people are pissed if they have to call the HVAC company. They're like, God damn it. The, the, the AC went out again. Whereas like, this is something fun. They, you know, maybe they've been talking about it or thinking about it for a while. Uh, We see that with our shelving business. And then it's the exact opposite with insulation. Like nobody cares. You know, you, you have to have the insulation, but you're not like excited, you know, when you have to call the insulation company. To come out, you know, Um, hundred percent right. So let's talk about staffing quickly. I know you you talked a little bit about training, uh, which I love. So, like, how many employees are you know does a franchisee kind of need to start? Are you guys recommending W two employees over ten ninety
1: nine or or what does that kind of look like? Great, great question. So. Coming out of the gate with a one truck model, you're looking at and, and some of it depends on what role the owner wants sure. to play. Right. Yeah. Because you can do an investor model on yeah. this. Yeah. Uh, I think home service, you and I talk a little bit. Home service models are a little a little more difficult. If you're looking to do it a, a hands-off type type model, it takes a good manager to run yeah. it. Yeah. Initially out of the gate, you need a salesperson and at least two installers. Okay. Right? So really you can do three. And if the owner plays one of those roles. That's where your cash flow and profits are going to come the quickest, right? Yeah,
0: absolutely. If you're an investor,
1: right? If you're an investor and you're hiring those people, it's still an option. You can still get that that ball rolling, right? As you grow, and this is one of the great things about this is that depending on how big someone wants to make their business, their input more with the marketing and how much they're willing to put in quickly, right? You can grow really fast. Like we've had locations, I'm allowed to say, is we've had locations hit almost a million dollars year one. Right? Yeah, they were intentional up front with their marketing spend to drive the business. That's but the then fuel. it's execution, right? It's it literally because you got to get it off the ground, yeah. right? And then it's about execution. And once you get that wheel turning, you know this is and it, it's funny you say like how this is a fun thing to sell. It's a fun installation to deliver because people love it, right? Yeah. And what happens is that sells, right? So before and after pictures sell, like the the visual side of this, my mother in law's water heater broke, right? I'm not gonna talk to a lot of people about the new water heater we're putting. Like,
0: in yo, house. you gotta come check out the new water yeah, heater I got put in. Like nothing. Well, and dude, if I it guess. does, it comes up as a negative. You're like, guess what? <laughs> I had right. to, deal with I had to do with last week. And water dude, heater dude, went out, you know. <laughs> it's
1: exactly right. And yeah. This is fun, like people love showing off. Oh, yeah garage looks like well then that sells at literally um our top three locations all three average of 25 percent of the jobs they sold were referrals i believe from it from someone else referring them
0: right? i bet i bet your installers you know across the system i i would guess like almost one out of every four jobs the customers bringing someone over to look at it before yes. they're even done and and out of the garage
1: I talked to an owner of Philadelphia this week and he said he sold two jobs during the same install with people just coming up to see what the neighbor was doing. Yeah. And then he went over and saw them afterwards and sold their. Yeah.
0: We had that with our shelf genie business at least once last week. And I want to say, say even a second time, because this people are pumped about it. They're like, yo, come check this out. And then like, if your salesperson's on top of it, right. And they're interested, they're like, well, I can come over and look right now. You yeah. know, it's like, Exactly. capitalize on that um, So yeah, it's a fun business for sure. Let's talk a little bit more about the the role of the owner right because yep. this is something that you and I talked about um you know kind of before we started recording, look, any of these businesses can be started as an ex- investor model, executive model. I think a lot of it depends on the owner and their skill set, right how good are they at, at you know managing people and building teams and setting the right tone. Um what are you guys really looking for in your franchisees like what's what's the ideal franchisee for you I'm assuming you don't care so much if they have like garage experience or home improvement experience right
1: It's it, here's here's the paths that we see we see um operators meaning um, technically oriented or mechanically inclined individuals, male, female, either way that want to work really in the field. Okay. So if they want to be an installer, they can be in that first crew. They could be when you, when you go to your second truck and you have two crews, you hire a fifth person. We see some of them be that fifth person that either helps on the bigger installs Or fills in if somebody calls out six. Yeah,
0: floater kind of. Right.
1: Yeah. And then what they do is they hire a salesperson, right? So you've got a full time salesperson, whether you're running one truck or two trucks. When you go to a third truck, it changes a little bit. Uh, We've got owners, uh, three or four owners Mm -hmm. right now that are running more than three trucks. And at that point, they're really in a management role where they've got like an install supervisor and then they've got multiple salespeople and then everybody's reporting to them or they have a GM, right? So we've got, actually we've got one gentleman that's got locations on both sides of the country with a GM at each location, and then he just oversees their GMs report to him. So depending again, where where the owner wants to get to, and we can help with the guidance, right, of what that looks like. Uh, they can play multiple different roles, but as it grows, if that's what they want, uh, some of our happiest franchisees love being that operator, being in the truck sure. and doing the installs, and they got a salesperson, sure. right? Yeah. So it's kind of where you want to like what you want to get. It, it can work that way.
0: Yeah, love that. Um, tell me, tell me one of your favorite stories. This is kind of you know put you on the spot a little bit. But yeah. what's one of your favorite stories about one of your franchisees? To date, it could be just like a funny story or like a really cool accomplishment. You've already shared a couple of good stories, but I think these types of stories resonate with yeah. people listening. So, actually, whatever comes to mind right right off the bat,
1: the first one that comes to mind is for me. It's like the epitome of what franchising can be. Right, uh, we've got a gentleman. He was a school teacher, school teacher that have been in the the public school system for more than 20 years. How he got to Garage Kings, I still don't actually know how he got there. But he ends up coming on board with Garage Kings, opens up a business. He runs one of the best locations we have. Um, He was the first one to get to 100 reviews, right? He is very methodical in kind of the work that he takes on. He's involved with the installations. He also can help with the sales. But like he knows, he knows where he's good, like kind of what his his unique abilities are. But he makes more money than he's ever made. He's running his own business. He loves what he delivers. Yeah, and he's like, he's like the epitome of the perfect franchisee, and he stays in his lane. Yeah, and I just I love seeing people. It's like the perfect combination in all in all different respects. And if you were to if you were to see him five or six years ago before he made that transition and he was a school teacher. You've been like, I don't see that happening. And it's been great. Yeah. I Love those kinds of stories.
0: That's a great story. Cause I think, you know, for the franchisor, right. It's your job to, you know, kind of be the gatekeeper of who you're awarding franchises to, right. I mean, the, the really good brands out there aren't just selling to anyone that may be yeah. willing to write them a check, right. There's a, process and that process is two-sided right it's about the candidate getting the information they need but it's also about you guys as the franchisor getting to know them and you know so i think that's a good good lesson for for franchisors right don't judge a book by its cover and and don't necessarily say oh well you know this guy's background has nothing to do with this imagine. business like how how could that translate um and and good testament to franchising when it's done right, too. If you follow the system, um, chances are you'll be successful. Doesn't mean yeah. it'll be, you know, completely smooth sailing to get there, but if you follow the system, you'll probably be successful.
1: Doesn't mean it's gonna be easy. No, right? it no. work. No. But the risk is so much less when you follow the system because it's already proven. It's
0: I'll right. give you I, I, I was asked to be a guest on someone's podcast recently and they were, you know, asking me kind of what are traits that you've seen of that separate really successful franchisees from, you know, franchisees that are average or maybe yeah. underperforming. Right. And and this is an analogy that I got from a mentor of mine uh, in franchising. He was the CEO of the first franchise brand that I went to work for and when they had candidates come into discovery day he would use this analogy right it is the because i I think that's a misconception right that that people think oh i'm buying a franchise therefore in 12 months i should have a profitable business that kind of materializes in front of me right that's obviously not going to happen like you got to put in the work so anyways this analogy was you think about a bicycle right it is the franchisor's job to build the bike and Mm -hmm. just like in franchising you know if you're shopping for a bike there's all different types of bikes you get racing bike you know mountain bike beach cruiser like depending on what you're looking to get out of the bike there's different options right and you should probably you know try to select the bike that's best suited for what you're trying to accomplish with a bike Right. It's the franchisor's job to build the best bike that they can make sure it's sturdy, make sure it's made out of good materials, got all the bells and whistles, you know, et cetera. I don't know a ton about bikes, so that's kind (laughs) of as far as I can take that piece of the analogy. But, you know, the point is, it doesn't matter how good the bike is. Right. could be the best damn bike the world's ever seen. That bike goes nowhere unless someone gets on and pedals it right so that's the franchisee's job is to get on the bike and pedal it and so you can kind of lackadaisical pedal or you can get on and you can pedal your ass off right you get on and pedal your ass off especially if it's a good bike you're going to go fast you're going to probably go further than the you know the franchisees that are just you know pedaling enough to to stay up and not fall over it's a great analogy. I I, like I, can, I take zero credit we for that. We can't
1: pedal your bike.
0: I like that. That's right. Yeah, it's not your job as the franchisor to, to pedal the bike. It's yeah. the franchisee's job. So that's the work, right? That's the work. And, yeah. uh, you know, I've got a daughter that I'm trying to teach how to ride the bike. So I could keep taking this. Maybe I'll have to think on this a little bit. But, you know, you start with training wheels. Then you get to the point where the training wheels come off and you're probably a little wobbly. But, you know, the more time energy and effort you put into it the more comfortable you get That's on right. the bike and so yeah it's it's a good analogy That's i take zero analogy. credit for that but i i think it's a perfect way to look at it because it's not it's necessarily you know this big easy button that that you're hitting just to buy a franchise i mean in some ways you're choosing to work smarter instead of harder right because you pointed this out earlier franchisors got the experience right they've already made a lot of the mistakes that. Now you could likely avoid as the franchisee if you listen and follow the system, but there's there's no replacement for hard work.
1: You know, it's interesting the way you brought that up about the bike too, because it, it just like some conversations I had earlier this week. There's people that want to go into business for themselves. Yeah, I they've got to build their own bike, right? So now you got to build the bike and ride it. Yeah, that's a different that's different than you think it's going to be. Can you, can you
0: imagine trying to build a bike if you've never done that before? Where do no. you get the materials from? Right. How do, like where do you even start? What piece of the right. bike needs to come together first? Like that's that's a good you know analogy in itself because we we were t- I was telling you a story and I guess if you've got a few minutes I can I can tell <laughs> it here but you know speaking of garages my wife and I Decided we wanted to get into the garage business. This was 2020. It was you know around around COVID, uh, you know, kind of coming onto the scene, and because um, our, our our shelving customers would always ask us, you know, what could we do in the garage, and, and we didn't we didn't have anything, and um, but we were a little bit cocky. We kind of went against what I preach all the time, what you and I've been talking about today, right? The value of of you know franchising when it's done right and so anyways we went looking at garage dealerships and we weren't so much looking to do the floors ours was more the storage in the organization because that tied in pretty closely to to shelf genie and um to make the story short we wasted at least eight or nine months trying to you know find the right dealer figure out pricing, figure out branding, figure out a website, figure out marketing materials. You know, how are we going to deliver estimates? You know, we wanted to be able to do 3d drawings like we do in our shelf genie business, but we wanted our pricing to tie into that. Like we took for granted how turnkey shelf genie was, you know, Mm -hmm. in terms of just all the different pieces that are there that allow us to run the process that we run. That's a great experience for the client. You know, it kind of streamlines the, the business for us as owners. And um, man, if we would have just, because the motivation to do it that way versus getting into a franchise was save the franchise fees, (laughs) right? If we would have just paid the damn franchise fees to a good franchise in the garage space, I didn't know about garage Kings at this time, but um, man, we would have been open in three months and we'd probably have a very successful garage business today versus we got like nine months into it, kind of got distracted by some other things, got pregnant again, and, and that thing's still sitting on the back burner. We haven't touched it in two years. Never, never ran a sales mm-hmm. appointment, never generated a dollar in revenue. And, um, you know, we thought we had to- a cost, like there's a cost to that because there's a lot of lost opportunity right lost opportunity (laughs) lost time you know we we certainly put some money into it It, you know it wasn't a significant amount of actual money that we shelled out but definitely opportunity cost you know um
1: absolutely i'll tell you what you know i didn't come from a franchising background like i spent 25 years at just the home services trades we'll say right i'm more of a franchising fan now than ever. And I, I'll attribute some of this back to you because some of the conversations you and I had at that conference two months ago, made me start to look and then seeing all the different brands and how, I guess, um, how much a franchising system reduces risk. Yeah. And because you're, you're paying it one way or another and odds are because you're trying to build the bike right and every time you put the parts on wrong it's the part they don't tell you every time you put the parts on wrong it costs you money right? that's right that's, and that's what and,
0: business <laughs> and you may fall and hurt yourself a little bit it's, too right, right? And,
1: and, like, and and there's a cost to the time i love what you said about the time too right because if yeah if you just pulled the trigger and got into a franchise then it's profitable right oh now we'd
0: be if, like three years into uh i'm a sure we're a over. seven figure business it's at like, this point you know then but, you'd be
1: buying a different one right yeah because you
0: yeah. So it was it, a great, great lesson for us and, and uh, you know, definitely a, a little dose of humility. We thought we knew how to build the bike. And, you know, look, I'm sure if we would have said, hey, let's make this priority number one, we could have figured it out. But yeah. why? Like, why go through, especially if you have other things going on, right? We had a couple of other businesses at the time. And, it, you know, it doesn't make sense to completely take your eye off the ball of those you know, we got kids, we got a life, like why go through the pain of trying to figure out how to build your own bike when you can go buy a fantastic bike from someone else. And then you get to get straight to the fun part, which is pedaling it and, and riding it, you know, it's funny. Cause if if you've
1: got candidates that are thinking about doing something on their own, like my advice would be do the, do a franchise first and learn how the bike was built, right? Yeah. Yeah. learn how the bike was built and make some money while you're learning. Right. Sell it. And then go do one on your own. Like you're, you're not going to want to do that anyway. But just do it that way because
0: well, people do it all the time. People buy and sell franchises all the time. You talk about private equity, like private equity's been buying franchise brands for years now, but they're getting even more interested in buying out franchisees, you know, franchisees right. that have built a nice business in some cases are getting on private equity's radar. And you want to talk about life changing generational wealth. Right. But you know, th- it's one of the reasons I kind of spotlighted, you know, how impressive it is to me that that you and your partners built your HVAC business to the point where it got on private equities radar. Yeah. You know, t- to my understanding, that's pretty difficult to do with a regional business. Yeah. I mean, clearly you guys were very successful and, and that's why you know you you ended up on a private equity firm's radar. But I guess the point I'm getting at is I think it's easier to do that with a franchise because private equity sees the value in the brand and, you know, the the larger That's system great. and and all of that. So, um, but yeah, it's fascinating, man. It's, it's such a fascinating world of franchising. And, you know, we were talking, you go to these conferences, you meet so many people, you get to see all these different businesses and brands and Um, there's so many ways that you can go about growing and, and building your own empire, uh, whether that's through multiple brands, through scaling with one brand, you know, through learning enough through franchising and using that as a platform to go build something entirely on your own, you know, there's, there's just so many avenues. And, um, I love meeting people like you and nerding out on this type of stuff. So Troy really appreciate you coming on the show and, um, We'll drop a link to the Garage Kings website in the show notes um, so people can go check it out. Where can people connect with you if they want to hear more? Um, is LinkedIn a good place to find you or where's where's it?
1: LinkedIn is, LinkedIn is great. Uh, Troy.Rainsburg at GarageKings.com. They can email me. Boom.
0: All right. We'll put it all in the show notes. But, hey, man, love what you guys are doing with Garage Kings. Keep up the good work and uh, really appreciate you dropping in here on the Path to Freedom podcast. True pleasure. Thank you, Wes. Got it. That's a wrap. Thanks for joining me today and be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcast. So you'll know when a new episode is released. You can also check me out on my website at www.path2frdm.com. And if you want more information about franchising or just want to say hello, feel free to contact me at Wes at number 2 frdmcom Thanks again. Now go drop in.